Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I'd like to talk about a little subject called the church in reverse. The church in reverse. How many hours do you get in a week, huh? Uh, seven uh, days a week, 24 hours, multiply that out, a mathematician. We got a math teacher here, don't we, huh? Is Jacob Levis? Oh, you know, we got math teachers. It's 168 hours. And how many hours do you spend in church? Well, on a good day, it's one hour, unless the preacher is too long, but it's one hour. And I asked myself, what would be the goal of what could we accomplish in one hour with us here as a congregation? You know, I think the passage today has a great verse. It's Mark 9, verse 35. And I want you to look at this verse on the screen and ask yourself, what are the key words in this verse that would help us understand uh, maybe how the church could be in reverse? What, what word in that verse stands out to you? Someone give me a word here. Which one stands out to you? Huh? Just pick one word. A servant. And you said what? Last. What's that? Anyone. Okay, so it applies to all of us, huh? These are all, every, every word's got a little meaning to it, doesn't it? This side over here has been a little silent. Come on, you guys are the sheep and the goats or what? (laughs) What do you guys have to say? Give me a word. That's last? Must. Must. Okay, must. All right. First. First. All right. That's the dream of us all, isn't it? (laughs) All right. Well, let let me help us out a little bit. Look at this. I look at this verse. It says, if anyone wants to be first... You know, now we won't admit that, but we all do want to be first, right? Hmm? Uh, in a sense, we we want to be first, and uh, we we would be humble and say, no, no, it's not about me; it's about other people. But deep down inside, when we make a choice, or we have a feeling, or we have an attitude, it tends to go back to the old selfish human nature that says it's about me. Secondly, I says he, he says, but the person who wants to be first, he must be what last, last. In other words, here he's talking about things in reverse, isn't he? If you want to be first, change your thinking and really be the last. In fact, he gives, he says there, be the what? Very last. The very last. In other words, don't just be in the back of the pack, but really say everybody out there should somehow take preference over me. And then he says here, and be the servant. This is a little bit of a definition of what he means the our mathematician finally came in the door here. <laughs> we needed a mathematician a minute ago. He says, the servant of what? How many people? How many people? Of all. You see why I think the topic may be the church in reverse? If we were to change that attitude in every person that ever darkened the door of a church, in your life, in my life, in your family, in my family, huh? How would that change the way we approach life? What would be the ramifications? The ramification would be negatively, I would not push myself forward. But positively, I would take a big step backwards. I would learn to walk backwards to prefer you over myself. Have you ever been to a sporting occasion where they're giving away free t-shirts and these guys have a giant slingshot and they put these t-shirts up in a ball and then they let this, this big rubber band throw these things up and then 
25 to 30 people in one section will reach and crawl over each other for a $2 t-shirt. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Huh? We put ourselves first at the expense of the other person, right? And probably the person who's relaxed is having a greater time than the person who's going for a cheap $2 t-shirt. I went to a boat show a couple years ago here in Birmingham, and I found out that they're giving free gifts away at these different booths. And then I discovered if you go through the line a second time, you got double amount of free gifts. Isn't that amazing? I took those things in the bag, and I took them home, and two years later, I was cleaning out the garage, and I found that bag full of all those trinkets, right? <laughs> you follow me? What did I gain by pushing myself forward? Have you ever been in a gathering of professionals or friends, and all of a sudden, in that gathering, there's always the same one or two people who always dominate the conversation? Hmm? Have you ever been there? And you sit there and you say, you know, these guys are always dominating. And it's their way of saying, I'm going to be first and you are going to be last. Now, we're a church. Let's take, let's take it and apply it to church. Let's apply it to church. I was met a guy one day and he, and I knew him from our church in Canada, but he left the church and went to another church. And I said, what church are you going? I said, you're going to so-and-so church, aren't you now? And he said, no, 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 no. I went to that church two churches ago, you know. And I thought to myself, he wouldn't have changed churches so often if his whole attitude was the church in reverse. Is that the purpose in going to church is not to be the first, not to be served, but to be the last, be the one who is the servant of all. And if I took that attitude, then any church would do. Because my goal is not to be served. My goal is to serve. We live in a world that's changing dramatically. Statistically, it's, it's really sad what's going on in religious circles. 80% of Protestants have quit going to church. 80%. 76% of Catholics have quit going to church. I told that to one of my Catholic neighbors yesterday, and she says, uh-oh, they're toast. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a t- it's tough for Catholics. And I asked myself, why is this this great decline in people who claim to worship Jesus Christ. Why is that? I think it's because that one hour they say on Sunday morning is no different from the hour they spend the rest of the week. They see the values, the pushing ourselves forward, wanting to be first is the same in church, in the Christian world, as it is in the secular world. I met a girl the other day, and I, we interviewed her on a mission board that I'm on, and she's getting ready to go be a missionary in Peru. She comes from Gadsden, Alabama, and uh, she was a girl that was sort of struggling in life, and she decided she would take a year and go serve the Lord in Peru. Peru, I think as uh, my Hispanic friends say. And she has come back, come back from the people who know her as a changed person. She, she's become more gregarious. She is more outgoing. She has a greater passion for people. And she can hardly wait to get back to Peru. And I thought to myself, the reason, as I in, we interviewed her and I got to know this girl, the reason she likes it so much is she's able to go there and to be the servant of all. She's not going there to be the first. She's going there to be the last and to make the world better physically and spiritually for the dear people that live in that third world country. And my friends today, Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple and you really want to be first, the only way you can be first is to be last. And to be the last, it means you've got to be the servant of all. And so today I want us to learn a new skill. And the new skill is how to walk backwards. 
Because I've discovered that when you walk backwards, you bump into stuff. But when you walk backwards as a church in reverse, we're going to back into some amazing stuff. Well, what does it look like when we push ourselves forward? Well, this text is really a, a very unusual text because Jesus is, is, has just announced to his disciples in verse 30 and through 32 that he's going to die. He's going to rise again. Now, the disciples don't really understand all the things that Jesus is saying. So in verse 33, they were going on the road to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, maybe it was Peter's house, if you were to go to Capernaum today, they would show you some archaeology that they might say might have been Peter's mother's house. Uh, who knows? But it's very interesting to see that that city still exists, the synagogue where Jesus went. And as he gets to the house, he turns to the disciples, who obviously had been talking and having an argument on the road, and he says, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. You know, I asked myself, you know, that, what does it mean to push myself forward? How do I push myself forward? Well, I think it begins with a problem. What is the problem? The problem is that I'm talking way too much. I am talking way too much. And what are these guys talking about? They're talking about who is the greatest, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Now, have you ever had that conversation? Probably not. I don't think anyone has ever turned to another person and says, are you going to be the greatest in heaven? You know, I'm going to be greater than you are in heaven. I don't think we would say that. Do you? I don't even think we would turn to each other and say, are you going to be greater than me? I'm going to be greater than you are in the church. Huh? Would anybody say that? I'm going to be greater than you are in our Sunday school class or in our small group. I'm going to be greater than you are. We would never say that. But the disciples here have verbalized really an attitude that we tend to think that's in the back, that's tucked away in the back of our head. And the way we do it in a more humble methodology today is to, I think, dominate the conversation. And, and the test is this. The test is this. The subject is me. That's the test. Because he says here, they're arguing about who, obviously I, am going to be greater in the kingdom than you are. And you know, I think as we look at it, one of, the, one of the greatest ways that we tend to fall into this trap of pushing ourselves forward is just listen to the way we talk. Well, let me tell you how I feel about that subject. Oh, that happened to you? Well, let me tell you what happened to me. Huh? Let me tell you what I've experienced and what I've learned about that subject. And the biggest one is this. Let me tell you how I feel about it. And what I do is I move in and I dominate you verbally. And in essence, I'm saying you are less than I am because the subject here is about me. My friends, I fall into that trap. Do you fall into that trap? Hmm? I do. And I challenge you today in your family gatherings or tomorrow when you go to work or you go to school, just watch the conversation around the lunch table. Watch the conversation with your friends at work. And watch it elevate to where someone says, the subject is me. Because in reality, they're saying, I will be greater than you are in the kingdom of heaven. Amy and I have a little system. Amy is our administrative assistant here. And she knows when certain people come by the office to see me, 
after 35 or 40 minutes, she calls <laughs> and lets me know I'm needed, <laughs> right? Because she knows that that individual has come in to talk about themselves, to talk about themselves, and that eventually I need some, we need some relief from that. My friends, whenever I see myself talking and the subject is me, then in reality, probably what I'm saying to my friends and to those that I love is that I'm greater than you are in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that reveal? Well, when I talk too much, secondly, it reveals that I know too little, hmm? that I have too, much, too little knowledge. In fact, he says here in verse 35, he says, sitting down, so Jesus sits down and takes like a, the stance of a rabbi, and he sits down with them and he says this. He says, uh, he says, he says, he's sitting down, he turned to them and says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, and he must be the servant of all. What Jesus is communicating to these people, to the disciples, is that they have missed the essence of his teaching. That in their talking and their competitiveness and in this sphere of attitude, that they have discovered that they don't really know the message of Jesus Christ. And the message of Jesus Christ is to be first, even though I'm the Son of God, I have chosen to be last. I, in fact, I have chosen to become the servant of all. And they are saying, he is saying, if you knew what you were talking about, you would not be pushing yourself forward by talking so much about yourself. And I think the second way, what is revealed in uh, this whole idea of pushing ourselves forward, is the fact that, we, that we, it demonstrates and reveals that we just don't know the methodologies that God has, that God's methodology is not up. God's methodology is the way up, is to go down. And what is the test? The test is I get the message backwards. I get the message backwards. That I don't see that it's really about servanthood and this attitude. We have created an epidemic of this in our North American society today. This, the epidemic is that it's all about us. I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and she, neighbors, and she said that her, her son was dropped off at the bus stop. And the bus stop is 10 houses from where they live. And she said her, her son texted her and said, would you come pick me up at the bus stop and drive me home? 10 houses. And, of course, she's on her way home from work, and she's stopping at the grocery store, and she texts back and says, no, <laughs> you know. But if you think about it, when I push myself forward, when I'm talking about myself so much, it reveals I know too little about what God is doing in this world. A couple of years ago, when, Susie, uh, when we were living in Canada, Caroline's best friend was killed in a tragic car wreck, and they asked several pastors, two of two pastors, to come to the high school and help counsel these kids in a public high school situation. I, w- I gotta admit, I was a little fear and trembling because I'm not a youth pastor. I don't know how to connect with teenagers. I'm not Joe Cool, you know, and I didn't know how to do this, so I didn't have to. As soon as I got out of my car at the parking lot. We had this big old Pontiac station wagon, and the kids referred to it as the Mobile. <laughs> whenever I'd drop off my kids. When they saw me drive up in, in the car that my kids came to school in, all of a sudden a crowd of about eight kids just sort of gravitated towards me and started talking. Then they moved away in mass, and then another group of kids came to me as I walked into the building. Got into the foyer of the high school, another group of kids came and gravitated around I never had to go and find anybody because all these kids were in a group talking about their feelings, 
wanting how to how do we get through this tragedy where where two students were killed and one is left as a paraplegic in a car wreck? How do we get through this process? And as I look back upon that, I thought to myself, you know, I catered to their feelings. I wish I had done more to help them understand the truth of what was happening in that situation. I wish I had done more to prepare them to know how to deal with it in the future and the tragedies in their life. You follow me? Because they were, they were consumed by their feelings, but they were not consumed by knowledge of how to deal with it and what God wants to teach us through the tragedies that come our way. And my friends, I look at that and I say to myself, when do I get consumed with myself? Or I don't learn. I don't listen to what God wants to teach me in that situation. You know, it's like I told my, thought about my friend who changed churches all the time. I thought, you know, any church would do if I really knew that the message that God has for the church is for me to go and to be the servant of all. And I walk into a group like this. If you walk into a group like this, everybody wants their needs met. But if we all came to serve the needs of the other people, everybody would go away with their needs met in spades. You see the difference there? But if I come to be served, it doesn't work. But if I come to serve, everybody is served, and everyone goes away in a blessed way. So it reveals, too much talk reveals too little knowledge. And it results in too little action. What do you mean by that? Well, look at verse 36. Jesus took a little child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So here, Jesus says, he says, he says, he says, when we talk too much, we miss the message. And the result is we have too little action. And the test is we are ignoring what we think are quote, end quote, insignificant people in our world. In this case, it is children. And Jesus is saying, there are people out there that I have created that I love. And when I'm talking about myself so much, I am missing all the people like this little child that God has placed in my life. My friends, we have fooled ourselves in thinking that ministry is with significant people. When in reality, Jesus came and ministered to insignificant people, to the poor, to the outcast, to the tax collector, to those who were despised by normal religious people. Jesus said, that's my target audience. And he wanted to remind the disciples of that by taking this little child and putting the child on his lap and says, whoever welcomes this child is welcoming me. And not just me, but they're welcoming my Father in heaven. You see the difference there? But you know, when I talk too much about myself, when I miss the message, I miss the fact that it's about these little people that God has placed in our lives. Who are the insignificant people in our world? Hmm? Look beside you. Hmm? We're all insignificant people. We're all insignificant in the sense that we all have needs, that we all hurt. If you ever watch President Obama on TV giving a speech in a public setting, usually he has three or four bleachers full of average citizens behind him. It's amazing. These aren't stars. These aren't perfect lurking people. These aren't the shapely models. These aren't the 
the men that have bodies like this, you know, who are they? They're average Joe Blow man and woman worker off the streets. And the message the president's communicating, I'm a man of the people and I care about all these people. And my friends, those people exist in every home, in every workplace, in every neighborhood, in every society. We're all there. We were in the Shelby County Courthouse last week, two weeks ago. And it's amazing. I saw an African-American uh, family with a teenage boy that obviously was in problems. I turned and there was a, on the bench sitting a, a Caucasian woman with her 13 or 14-year-old son obviously waiting all morning for a trial to take place. There was our family <laughs> in the middle of a crisis. And I thought, if Jesus were to come and find a place to minister, he would go to a place like that and find the people that the rest of us think are insignificant or like a child. The very first Sunday I preached in this church as the new pastor, I don't give altar calls. I'm not that kind of guy. But we had two people walk the aisle that day and just came spontaneously to the front of the church and kneel in front of the, on the steps to pray. One of them was a man who was having issues. Another was a, a man who was right off the street. He was missing most of his front teeth because they'd been knocked out in fights and bars. He's a mechanic, had a couple DUIs. Our church, especially Chip, shepherd this guy, he came and visited us here about six months ago. He finally got his driver's license back, which means he can be a mechanic again. And he says, look at my smile. He's got his teeth. Do you like my smile? And yet a man like that would walk into a church, walk into a group of any group of people, not just a religious group in our city, and they would probably look down upon him. And yet Jesus says, when you see that kind of person, Look behind them, because I'm there. And look behind me, and you'll see the Father himself. We have a neighbor who is 45 years old. She's in hospice care. Little baby, three years old. And only God knows. She goes to a Lutheran church down the road from us. And every time I drive by their house, I pray. Whenever I'm out in the yard, I try to talk to one of the relatives. Susie and I have been over to their house. We've been to the hospital. But you know, that dear lady is going to discover in her family, in her church, in her neighborhood, in her sphere of friends. She's going to find out who's, who thinks they're the greatest. And who's willing to be the last? <laughs> who knows how to push themselves forward? Or who knows how to walk backwards to bless her in her life? My friends, when you walk backwards, you bump in to some special people. Well, I ask myself, how can I, how can I not push myself forward? But what kind of lessons can I learn here? on trying to learn how to walk backwards. Well, let me suggest four things as we go. I would suggest, first of all, 
that if we're going to walk backwards, we've got to grasp the example of Christ himself. Look at verse 32 up above. Jesus, in verse 30, he had just sat down, he taught his disciples, and he said this. He said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed, and is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about that. You see, my friends, what is it? Can you imagine? We laugh at these disciples. We say, how in the world could they sit there and have Jesus say, I'm going to die and rise again? How could they not pursue that? How could they not understand or grasp that? Maybe their ministry with Jesus had become so familiar. Maybe their life with him had become too casual and so casual that they didn't fully grasp the understanding of it. But my friends, what he was saying is, I am God. I am the very Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. And I am willing to come to earth, and I am willing that no sacrifice is great enough for me to make for the salvation of those that I love. And I'm going to die on the cross to bring salvation to you. And I ask myself, do I get so familiar with the message of the cross that I forget that that was God who didn't have to, but chose to love me so much that he was willing to die on the cross to forgive me of my sin? And then I ask myself, if I'm going to walk backwards as Jesus did and be the church in reverse, not pushing myself forward, but but humbling myself before others, then is there any sacrifice that I can make? Is there any sacrifice that I can make that could compare to the sacrifice that Christ made? Any sacrifice I would make would come short of what he has done for me. Sure, we can die, but he did more than die. He was on the cross, and he took the weight of the world's sin upon himself. As we sang in our song this morning, he felt the separation from the Heavenly Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He felt the pain of taking the world sent upon us. He did that for us. And if he, the very Son of God, was not willing to trash the world, but to say, I will die for the world, then what kind of sacrifice am I willing to make to imitate the sacrifice that Christ has made for me. I've had the privilege of meeting some outstanding missionaries and one couple, we had two medical doctors in Canada. One was Dr. Ken McMillan. His dad died as a martyr in a rebellion in the Congo in the 50s. It was on the front cover of Life magazine. This son, his son grew up not knowing his father very well, went to medical school and went back to the Congo to serve the people that killed his dad. In our generation, they had a rebellion in in Goma. And the rebels took over. And after the rebellion, he and his family had to flee. When he went back, he discovered that the people that he had ministered to ransacked his house, the church, and the clinic that he had established. The very people that they had ministered to had destroyed those. His wife was so traumatized by it that... uh, uh, that uh, they decided that they would just stay in the United States. And now he's ministering to rural people who don't have medical care uh, in, in Minnesota. That's his lifelong goal, to help people that don't have care. They came to visit our church one day, and after our church service, I was walking these missionaries out to the car, and I noticed he had a towel around the back of his seat. 
You know, some people have those crazy things with wooden beads, and some people have other things. But he had this towel on the back of his seat. And I turned to his wife, and I said, what's he doing, drying out the morning towel or something? <laughs> you know, does the plastic stick to his pants, or what is it? She said, my husband is so committed to living for God and imitating Jesus Christ and having a sacrificial lifestyle that he will not buy anything unless he has three uses for it. And so he uses a towel to dry himself, but the second use for his towel is to use to cushion the seat when he drives. And I thought to myself, you know, you may chuckle at some of these things, but here's a man who's trying to struggle with the concept that if Christ sacrificed for me, then how do I sacrifice? If he was willing to be the last, the servant of all, then what does it mean for me to be the last, the servant of all? My friends, what is sacrifice? Sacrifice is the very stuff of God. Not just grasping the sacrifice of Christ, but secondly, I think we need to reject the useless uselessness of human tendencies that we see. I mean, what were the disciples doing? You know, they were arguing about who is the greatest. They were pushing themselves forward. And I think we've got to say, God, I refuse to be that kind of person. And to see those tendencies in ourselves, to see those tendencies in other people and say, God, I just don't want to be like that. You know, sometimes instead of being around an obnoxious person who's being pushing themselves forward and walking away and saying, boy, that's a jerk. Probably the best thing to say is that obnoxious person is a mirror for me. <laughs> and God, how can I see myself in the attributes, the sayings, the lifestyle, the thinking of that person? And what can I learn about myself so that I reject that same sinful attitude that so easily is expressed in myself? The other day, Susan and I were driving along, and she says, Ron, you're trying to help me with this area of my life, but I'm going to help you with this area of your life, <laughs> Okay. And you know, here we got to be in a coaching attitude with each other, don't we? Huh? Because the other person sees us more clearly than we see ourselves. You'd think she would have me perfected after 39 years, you know. But sometimes you'd think we'd have ourselves perfected. But we don't. We have to reject those tendencies that are just plain old sin. Uh, recently, I was uh, one day I was asked by a guy to get together for coffee or lunch, and and I begged off. I, I, I just, you know, I was not feeling well. I was sick. And I said, I don't want to give you my cold and some other stuff. But I thought to myself, I don't want to be in a conversation with this guy. Because I know where the conversation will go. And it's not healthy for me to be in a conversation with that person about that subject. Does that make sense? We've got to reject those human tendencies. And as we start that practice of not being the first, but being the last, it will become a part of who we are. Uh, my two brothers and I were blessed to have a wonderful father, Alden Gannett, and he was just a godsend to us. He was probably the most humble man I've ever met on earth. Whenever there'd be a problem, you know, instead of retaliating, he'd, he'd, he'd take the position, someone's got to be the bigger man in this situation. He was always sacrificing and having an attitude towards other people, honoring the other person over himself. I remember when he was suffering with strokes and I came down from Canada to be with him for a Thanksgiving. We're sitting at the breakfast table and I said, Dad, it's Thanksgiving because his mind wasn't functioning real well yet uh, yet uh, now because of his strokes. And I said, Dad, are you, what are you thankful for? He said, what would you say? I said, what are you thankful for? It's Thanksgiving. 
He said, your mama. <laughs> I mean, he just had so ingrained in him that he had honored her for so long that even in his stroke-riddled brain, he wanted to honor her. The last time I saw him alive was in the assisted care home, and and he only had about two or three weeks left to live. And, and a lady, from, he was basically sitting in the bed one step above a vegetable, not responding to a whole lot of things we were saying. And a lady from New York State had just come into the home who's suffering with Alzheimer's. And I said, my dad's from New York State. I said, come on in and meet him. So I brought this lady in, and I said, Dad, I said, this woman is from New York as well. And my dad, who had been sort of semi-comatose, smiled. He sat up. He grabbed her hand, shaked her hand, said, so nice to meet you, and then went back. (laughs) And I thought to myself, all these years, he had practiced not putting himself forward, but putting other people first above himself. And even in his dying stupor, it was part of who he was. My friends, we live in a world that tries to get us to be like them. And every day we have to reject it. We have to say, it's not about me. It's not about being first. It's about being last and being the servant of all. I think a third suggestion, I think, is to focus on insignificant people. And I use that word insignificant with quotations, because no one is insignificant, right? But Jesus took a child. He says, if you welcome this person, you'll welcome me. Why do you think Jesus took a child, huh? Well, one of the nice benefits of being married 39 years is you have grandchildren. And we have uh, five, and we have a sixth little girl coming in October. And I found with my granddaughter that lives here in Indiana, she's three years old, and she can come up to me and say, Grandpa this and Grandpa that, and I can sit in the chair. And she will sort of talk to me and then run off and ignore me. But if I get out of my chair and I sit on the floor, and I sit on the floor, she's all over me. If I'm on the floor, I'm at her level, and she sits in my lap. I'm on the floor, she comes, and she takes my glasses, and she turns them upside down and makes them backwards. If I'm on the floor, she does things with me that she would never do if I'm up in the chair. Is there a reason why the God of heaven came and sat on the floor and took flesh and became, in the very nature, a human being and was willing even to die the brutal death of a cross for us. Hmm? Because he wanted to be as close as he could to the insignificant people in his world. Susie volunteers with other people here, Kathy and Susan Gannett, at a clinic for indigent people on the other side of town. The UAB students go in and give these people free care one night a week. They see about 15 to 20 people. The women come from the Love Lady Center, refresh out of jail. Tutwiler Prison. You ask them, how long you been in the Love Lady? I've been out of jail for three weeks. And here they have a place to sort of hang out until they can get a job, get a place to live, and get their life oriented. Then you talk to the men. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from the Jimmy Hill Mission. 
they have a 16-week program for addiction. And if you graduate from that, you go to the second 16-week program, then to a third 16-week program. Well, how long have you been to Jimmy Hill Mission? I'm in my eighth week. Do you like it? I love it. I love it. What do you guys do there? All we do is talk about God. We talk about God. You know what I mean? It's just amazing. One day we had a, a woman come in off the street, a single mom. And I asked her, where do you live? She said, my son and I sleep in the car. She has a boy that goes to school, and she sleeps in the car, and she survives herself by working as a waitress. And she went to work that day, and they said, you can't work because you got a pink eye, and you got to go to help. Well, where do I go? I don't have any insurance. And they said, go to this medical clinic. And someone told her about this medical clinic. I go down and help Susie every once in a while, and I ask her why she liked it so much. And she said, it's one of the few places I go, but I feel like I'm making a difference that I feel like I'm making a difference. Our world is surrounded by people that are insignificant and they're waiting for folks like you and me just to plop on the floor. And then the last suggestion, I think, is to be prepared to bump into the Father. I love the way he winds this passage up in verses 37. He, and there's this wonderful motif in the Bible that, you know, behind people is God. And when you serve these, you're serving me. And Jesus says, when you welcome this child, you're welcoming me. But you're not just welcoming me. You're welcoming my Father. And when we reach out and we walk backwards and humble ourselves to minister to the needs of other people and to bless other people in the name of God... We are really doing it to the Heavenly Father. I ask myself, why does the Heavenly Father give a rip? He gives a rip because all these insignificant people in our world He created. All these people He created, He loves. And all these people He loves, He wants to see them come back to Him. Even the most despicable, even the one that's hurt you the most, he loves them, and he's standing behind them, and when you minister to them, you're ministering to him. We were driving back from the lake yesterday with the McKays. We'd gone to our neighborhood, had a little day at the lake, and... Uh, we were talking about Philip Yancey's, and Joe was talking to us about Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And he said the difference, he said that reading that book made us realize, and we were talking about some people that really hurt badly in their family situation. He said, he said, you know, he says, it reminds you that God loves those people, and even though they're being hateful, I pray for those people every day. And you know, every day when Joe prays for those people and he walks backwards, he's going to turn around and realize he's bumped into the Father because the Father is there as well. Well, have I sold you? We spent our hour. The hour is time to go. It's gone. You've had your hour for the week. And have I convinced you to be the church in reverse? It's not about the church coming forward to push myself and say it's about me. But to come to church to be equipped, to be encouraged, to be loved, so that I can walk out of church (laughs) 
and bump into some amazing stuff. And I promise you, if you take that attitude, you're going to bump into some amazing stuff. You can go to work, and you're going to say, you know, how can I be the servant of all around here? <laughs> how can I be the servant of all? How can I not be the first? How can I be the last? What does it mean in the way I work with you and for you? Or what about my marriage? It's not about her meeting my needs. It's about me racing to the bottom to meet her needs. What's it say about obnoxious people? What's it say about church life? But my friends, the biggest change will take place in you. Because when you learn to walk backwards, you're going to find that you're in good company. When you learn to walk backwards, you're going to find someone on one side of you who's got scars in both hands, who's sort of smiling because, unlike the disciples, you get it. And when you keep walking backwards, you look on the other side, and you find behind all those insignificant people the Heavenly Father who loves them and loves you more than we dreamed. My friends, I think this world is looking for a man, a woman, a church that's willing to be the church in reverse. Let's pray. Father, I don't know about the other folks here today, but I read a passage like this And it cuts to the quick of my soul. It's a mirror that reveals the selfishness and sinfulness of my life. That says, Lord, apart from you, there is nothing. And Father, instead of spending the time seeking what is good for me, how would the kingdom of God be enriched if I invested my life in walking backwards to be the last, the servant of all? Oh, Father, I pray that the Spirit of the living God today might take the Word, that you might instruct each of our hearts, give us eyes that have a fresh vision of the people you've placed in our world and the wonderful things that you can do through us. Oh, Father, today teach us to walk backwards so that like you, we become the servant of all. We pray this in the name of Christ, who died for us. Amen.